I wouldn't have done it and I couldn't have done it and mentally I, I, I wouldn't have ever been to do it until I had come to terms with my condition and come to terms with not having children. From the team behind Stylist, this is Nobody Told Me. Stories of life, love, grief, success and failure and the lessons learned by the women who survived to tell the tale. I'm your host, Lisa Smazarski, Editor-in-Chief of Stylist. Rachel was diagnosed with MRKH when she was just 16. It's a female reproductive disorder that presents differently from person to person. But in Rachel's case, meant that while she has ovaries and produces eggs, she cannot carry a baby herself. She kept her diagnosis mainly to herself and carried on with life, going to university in Birmingham to study drama and theatre arts and then forging a successful career in events. It wasn't until she met Sam that she began to face how she really felt about motherhood and starting a family and began to look at her options. Shortly afterwards, after finally revealing her fertility struggles to her best friends from university, she got a phone call that changed her life her best friend Abby was offering to be their surrogate. One year later, Abby was pregnant with Rachel and Sam's baby and their son was born on 8th of June, 2019. This is Rachel's story in her own words. My name is Rachel and nobody told me that my best friend would be my surrogate. I basically realised that something probably wasn't right when my periods didn't start. So I was about 16. I was then diagnosed with MRKH. There are different strands, I suppose, or variants of MRKH. And what it basically means for me is I have ovaries, I produce eggs, but I would never be able to carry my own child. When I had that diagnosis... I sort of just immediately wrote myself off as someone who wouldn't wouldn't ever have kids because at the time with that diagnosis I was told that the only option would be adoption. From that point I just buried that information and didn't really want to sort of talk about it or be seen as different I suppose to any other teenager at the time. I did stuff when I was younger, like pretended to take the pill. I felt like a complete freak and didn't ever address it properly. I went to Birmingham University and then I think it was pretty much the second day I was there after one night out at Freshers Week, I went to a role on my course and there were two girls I could hear like, laughing behind me and turned around and that was Abby and Lottie that I then met and introduced myself to and became sort of best friends with instantly. Abby's very funny. <laughs> She's very strong-willed, strong-minded and says things exactly as they are. Nobody told me Abby would then go on to be our surrogate and would go on to have our baby. So from that day, we sort of not only studied together and did our courses together, uh, we then went on to live together throughout our second and third years of university in a house of, sort of six girls. We have continued to be a really close group of friends and always spoken and seen each other 
I would say, like three or four times a year. We'd always try and get together. When I was at uni, I did have a long-term boyfriend. I had other boyfriends after university as well. And I think before Sam probably chose to go out with people that I probably knew weren't going to lead to me having a family. They were probably more just, you know, fun relationships where I couldn't ever see myself settling down. And yeah, it wasn't until I met Sam later that I have even, you know, thought about families and buying a house together and that kind of thing. I'd been with Sam for a couple of years. Abby, by that point, had two children. She was probably the first out of us to start having babies and sort of settling down. The rest of my housemates had all had all settled down and had started their families. I mean, I was obviously thrilled for them, but incredibly jealous too. I just sort of felt more and more that there was this thing within me that I just wasn't sharing with my friends and my partner. I didn't want want my friends anymore to also just think that I just didn't want to have kids because that wasn't true and it felt now more and more like I was sort of like not living a lie but just wasn't being totally clear to them about yeah why I didn't think I wanted kids. I felt like I'd obviously lied to Sam and then it wasn't until I then told him that I actually realised that okay you know this is stupid why haven't I just sort of spoken about this before. He sort of, as soon as I told him, was like, you know, if we if we can't have kids, then that's not the route for us, and that is what it is. But I think we should try, like, you know, try. But if it's just us, then we'll be fine. We went to Cardiff for a weekend to stay with Abby, and I then told them, and they obviously straight away, um, I suppose, listened, but also straight away, like, wanted to sort of, yeah, know more and, and if there was anything they could sort of do to help. Abby sort of said straight away from the point of me telling her, she had already looked into that kind of thing before, uh, incredibly, not only because she's an incredible person, but she has always found pregnancies and childbirth and everything like that quite straightforward and something she has loved doing. I just came away from the whole weekend feeling so relieved that I had told them and obviously just reaffirming as usual like how amazing they all were and supportive and how much I sort of wished I'd told everyone earlier. So I went back to London and I got a phone call from Abby and she was pretty much like, are you <laughs> sitting down and <laughs> get comfortable? Um because I do also have a tendency to faint and <laughs> be quite overdramatic with things. And she just sort of explained to me very matter-of-factly, as Abby does, that she had chatted to Rich, Abby's partner, and they would like to look into Abby being our surrogate. I was obviously shocked because straight away, it's just like the most incredible thing that you can offer to do for someone and I never thought I would be in that position where someone was offering to do that so Abby calling me up and saying that just made me realize that having a baby could be possible even if it wasn't Abby that actually you know surrogacy could be something that we could do 
so I, you know, was so thankful for saying that, but I straight away was like, if this is as far as it goes and this is one conversation, then you're incredible and you've given me so much hope. And typically Abby straight away was like, no, you know, I wouldn't be calling you unless I'd made up my mind. <laughs> With my condition, you can't have any IVF funding in the NHS. The GPs transferred me to Homerton Hospital, first of all, and I subsequently after them went to about three different hospitals where each one was basically like, the computer says no. It basically is, my condition isn't on a list for anyone that would receive funding for IVF. It was a lot of paper pushing though. It took absolutely ages. Writing letters to petition to sort of be like, this is a medical condition. I cannot naturally conceive. I'd actually got in touch with Diane Abbott, our, our local MP, her letter said she didn't see why there was any reason why I couldn't have funding, which was incredible. For Abby to even be our surrogate, we had to all have counselling together and make sure mentally she was in a suitable position to be a surrogate. But not only that, we, you need to make sure physically she could be. So we went very quickly into her having a saline scan and um, blood tests and everything like that and checking that physically she would be suitable to go through this. And also then, yeah, the, the counselling so that mentally that it was a, the right thing for all three of us to be doing. We had to think about... Yeah, what, what if we ever came to a point where we might want to terminate a pregnancy or what if it was twins or what if it was a girl because Abby's had three boys and surrogacy is very much based on trust. It's not legally binding. Even though Abby was carrying our embryo, it's actually her baby. And when it comes down to it, any sort of legal decision that has to be made throughout her pregnancy and throughout childbirth and afterwards until we've gone through the process of parental order, that choice was down to her. There wasn't a single um, decision we had to make that we weren't all aligned on and we didn't all agree on, which was incredible. But having said that, we are extremely lucky because none of those horrible, hard decisions we made had to be tested. I went through IVF to have my eggs extracted and Sam and I created embryos. We sort of went through that sort of normal IVF process to then lead to gestational surrogacy, which is where our embryo was transferred into Abby's womb and Abby yeah, carried our baby for us. I sort of freaked out a little bit before that to Abby on the phone and was really scared by that point because I was like, once we go past this point, if you then become pregnant, this is totally out of my hands and this physically, I can't do anything to help you here. And this is, I couldn't really fund the fact that she, I was putting her through that, I suppose. And she has always just been incredible. She was like, you need to change your language and think about, you know, you're not putting me through anything. I have chosen to do this. This is my choice. I just was so worried about her health and the baby's health that I just didn't want anything to go wrong in any way. Abby had been coming to London and timing it with her cycles for the embryo transfer. So we'd gone through a period of seeing each other loads and talking the whole time and, and her weighing on ovulation sticks and like as being all quite intimate and like making sure that we'd timed the transfer so that Abby could have it 
as naturally as possible without drugs and things. I think it was six weeks post-transfer that we were then able to do a first pregnancy test. And Abby had already called us and said, I know I'm pregnant, by the way. <laughs> so she'd already decided she was. And I was like, I don't think we can decide that. And like, we might not be. And let's not even say it. And let's not get our hopes up. And she was pretty sure she was. But um, it was on a Saturday morning when we could do the test. She had got up, gone to her local co-op, bought a pregnancy test. We'd arranged that she would call us and we would do the test together, but over the phone. I think Abby probably asked us like what the weather was like while while we were waiting. And then she just told us and I can't yeah, I remember us being sat in bed and I remember just feeling so shocked and like like we were really just living in a bit of a dream, like it was happening to someone else. Once we'd done that positive test, that then meant that all care was transferred over to Cardiff and to Abby's local GPs and the hospital where she had had her three boys. And Sam and I went to Cardiff as often as we could. Any of the big sort of scans, uh, all three of us were there for. It was so lovely because we definitely, you know, we got to hang out with her boys more and just be a part of each other's lives for nine months, which I loved. At the end of May, I finished work and we'd booked an Airbnb in Cardiff for before our due date. Abby, for her three boys, she had been early for all three of them. She'd had small babies and very fast labours. We couldn't really plan. We didn't know how early we should be in Cardiff for, but my parents live in Bristol, so it's sort of like halfway to Cardiff. And we went for a week at my parents and then, and then a week in Cardiff before, hoping that two weeks, kind of at least an hour away, would hopefully guarantee we were there for Theo's birth. The night we arrived, I got a phone call from Abby, and that day, her first day of maternity leave, she had slipped over in the garden when she was carrying her lunch out to the garden, and she um, had fractured her elbow. Obviously, when she was falling, she had protected her bump and protected Theo. So she had been straight to A&E that day to have the bump checked, not properly have her elbow checked out to see that she was okay, but to just make sure that our baby was okay, which is typical Abby. was obviously concerned about like what was going to happen next because now not only was Abby going to be going into labour for us, but she was doing it with a fractured elbow. Went to our scan together with Abby's fractured arm and they said that Theo wasn't growing and they would like to look at inducing Abby because it could be that her placenta had stopped working. Abby had never been induced for all three of her boys. She'd always gone into natural labour and then had them very quickly. So we chatted to the midwife team and we agreed with them that Abby wouldn't be induced that day and that we would wait till the Monday that we were in Cardiff. And the other reason for this was that Rich, Abby's partner, was away that weekend. And in the end, Abby went home. She bounced on her yoga ball. She had a curry that night and she called us in the Airbnb at midnight and her sisters were staying with her because Rich was away. She said that her water had broken and she thought her constructions had started. Sam and I literally got straight out of bed in the Airbnb that we'd only gone to like half an hour before. Drove around to Abby's. Her sister was there. Abby got in the back. Typical Abby. She was like directing us to the hospital. She was very much in control of the whole situation. 
we got into the hospital at half 12 and Theo was born by half two. It was so incredibly quick. It was literally like Abby's second big contraction. The midwife was passing the door and Abby said to the midwife, can you come in a moment? And Abby said, I think he's coming. And the midwife basically looked into her leggings and <laughs> pulled her leggings out and, and, and she was giving birth to Theo. I rushed over and it was the most amazing moment that I can barely remember because it was such a like traumatic blur of emotions but the midwives passed him straight to me Sam cut the cord Rich walked through the door I saw Rich and I passed out and I think it was the relief of holding Theo knowing Abby was okay Rich walking through the door it was pure relief and I just couldn't even amaze and actually the, the next like five hours were a complete blur to me of like of emotional relief I was then sick I couldn't eat like I was in more of a state than Abby who had just given birth I was then put in a bed next to her <laughs> and we were both asked if we wanted tea and although I was holding Theo I just I was physically a, just a complete wreck like I, I think I was just so overwhelmed that he was okay and that Abby was okay and that Rich was there and that Sam was there and that we we're all going to be okay that I just couldn't even handle it anymore. They then maybe thought I had a virus and I brought a virus onto the ward because I was so overwhelmed with emotion I pretty much couldn't, didn't stop being sick. <laughs> And I was just panicking that actually they'll have decided that I wasn't able to be a fit mum and they were probably going to take my baby away and maybe they should just give Theo to, to Abby and Rich because I obviously couldn't cope with it. On that Monday morning, we left to come back to London. I'd been so worried about Abby and getting to the point of him being born and so worried that that wouldn't all work out that really I hadn't properly thought about then being a mum yeah we'd gone to NCT and we were as prepared as much as, as probably anyone is but we got back to London we we're like oh right it's just us now and we we are looking after Theo ourselves and yeah I, we were I suppose like all new parents like pretty clueless at that point and quite overwhelmed and couldn't really believe it and that it was just us three as a little family back in London in our flat Legally, I wasn't Theo's mum and wouldn't be until we'd gone through a parental order. The good thing about Abby not being married, that allowed Sam to be on the birth certificate. So he's legally Theo's dad from day one. If Rich and Abby had been married, then neither of us would be the legal parents, which is crazy. It's like a form of adoption and you're adopting your own child. It's a really archaic process. February 2020, we got the parental order through. I think we always like, thought it would be a massive moment of celebration with all of us. And actually, it was just me, Sam and Theo in the end. Like It had taken so long for it to happen in the end. It was just huge relief. And just the three of us went to court and went for dinner together afterwards. And mentally, I was hugely relieved. Theo is now 19 months old. He's quite a calm, well-natured, sweet little boy. And um, we're very, very lucky. As soon as Theo was born, I made a book for Abby's boys and a copy for Theo for when he's old enough and he understands it. We already read it to him now to kind of explain our journey and how he was born and 
how special he is and how much he's, yeah, not just a part of our lives, but he's got a, a Welsh family too. So he'll always know. All my friends know. All our family know. So our surrogacy journey would never be a secret. We continued after Theo was born to still see each other probably like once a month and she was coming to London for work or we would go back to my parents and we took Theo to Cardiff a couple of times and that would have totally continued if it then hadn't gone into lockdowns and being stuck in London on our own and that's obviously been a very hard thing this year is that Abby hasn't been physically here as much or we haven't been to Cardiff as much as we would have liked to. Having said that, we've got the rest of our lives together now and yeah, we, we, we have become a family. In terms of life lessons, in terms of like wider fertility issues and just for myself going through this, I have realised more and more that I would never ever question why someone doesn't have kids. You, you don't know what anyone's going through. You realise more and more as you get to the age that I'm at now that everyone's got their own shit going on. I wouldn't have done it and I couldn't have done it and mentally I, I, I wouldn't have ever been to do it until I had come to terms with my condition and come to terms with not having children. I think Sam and I had to know that we would be okay and it took Sam telling me that we would be okay, just the two of us, and we'd be okay if we don't have kids that gave me the strength for us to do this really in the first place. So I think you have to know that you're going to be okay anyway because there are lots of outcomes and We've been extremely lucky. If I had to give a message to anyone that was a surrogate, I would probably just say thank you. Um, I think it's the most selfless, incredible act that you could ever do for an, an, another human being. As much as Abby says, like, you didn't put me through this, you didn't put me through it, I never thought that someone would ever physically and mentally put themselves through that kind of thing for me and it's just incredible um that yeah my friend has given as a family basically abby knows how i feel about her she knows that she's yeah the most amazing person in my life and that she has given us another life and created our family so yeah she knows i think she's quite incredible You're listening to Stylist Nobody Told Me. It's hard not to be completely floored by the generosity, selflessness and trust demonstrated in Rachel and Abby's story. It is testament to their incredible friendship that the two women were able to be so completely supportive of one another as they navigated a journey very few have travelled before. Somehow, they managed to consider each other every step of the way, and today their friendship is even stronger than it was before. True friendship shows itself in many guises. From the simple act of realising someone knows you so well that they can anticipate how you're feeling just by the way you walk into a room or the tone of your WhatsApp. There are little things that make us feel completely seen, like we don't need to explain ourselves or put on an act. Like when you know that your friends feel your happiness, your successes and your pain as though it's their own. When they show you that what you feel, they feel too. Or the bigger acts, the times our friends guide us through our darkest hours, the occasions they go above and beyond to help us. 
the gifts they can give us that money simply can't buy. There really is nothing as special as a true friend. And it's very clear that Rachel and Abby are just that to each other. I want to say a huge thank you again to Rachel for joining us on this special episode of Nobody Told Me. You can learn more about surrogacy by visiting surrogacyuk at surrogacyuk.org. We have had a wealth of brilliant women on this series, so please do subscribe to make sure you don't miss journalist and presenter Vic Hope on the importance of being alone. And don't forget you can go back through the series at any time and listen to any of the amazing stories again from our inspiring women, including Nicola Mendelssohn and why she carried on working after being diagnosed with incurable cancer. We'd also love to hear your comments and suggestions of the stories you'd love to hear more. So please leave these in the podcast store or DM us on the Stylist Instagram. You can find even more inspiring stories and life lessons on our website, stylist.co.uk. Thank you so much for listening to Nobody Told Me.